0: Well, good morning and happy Father's Day, great weekend, Uh, got all the mission uh, projects out, uh, 500 people at Feed My Starving Children, we've got the gospel choir over at the Crossroads Campus, lots of fun things happening on this Father's Day. Um, So I don't mean to be a downer, but I just want to name the elephant in the room. Um, Father's Day is not quite as big a deal as Mother's Day. Right, I mean, it's just—it's just sort of a bit of an afterthought. It's, it, it, it. There were years before Father's, after Mother's Day was a national holiday, before anybody got around to saying, "Hey, we got to do this for dads also." All the, all the metrics out there suggest that people don't spend as much money on gifts. Hallmark doesn't do as much business on cards. Nobody, of course, gives flowers. Restaurants don't have to gear up for the big brunch crowd. Uh, the phone company says a lot less traffic on Father's Day. And when they used to keep track of this, the calls made on Father's Day were always made collect uh, back to <laughs> Dad. So uh, I had a friend who uh, was sort of speaking to this issue. His daughter was doing a science project for a grade school class she had. And so she, uh, she needs to buy and raise for a few weeks 30 chicks. And so she's going to chart their growth over the first month, I think. And so he's, you know, builds a chicken coop and has to figure out the heater, and he's got to do all these things. And What's he going to do with 30-month-old chickens when he has them and all this stuff? So he's sort of keeping me apprised of this as it's developing. And then one day he calls and he says, Hey, do you know how much do you think a, a day-old chick costs? He goes because they come in the mail. You order them and they come in the mail. And I said I, I don't have any idea. He goes three dollars, three dollars for a baby chick, provided that it's a it's a girl, that it's a hen. He says little boy chicks, little little roosters got yeah, fifty cents. <laughs> he says is that is that not just a metaphor of what's going on today? So I just want to say, dads, we, uh, you know, happy Father's Day. We think you're worth more than 50 cents, you know. Not $3, but $2.50 on, uh, on a good day. And I'm aware that there are some days that dads are thinking, I, I'm not even trading at 50 cents at the moment. Uh, you'd be fortunate to get that for me. Well, um, the books and the, and the files that I have up here on this table are just a fraction of the, of the material that I have in my office, all counsel for dads about how to be better fathers. So this is maybe a third of the, the books and, uh, and the files that I've collected with articles about how to be a better dad. The books are all almost exclusively written from a decidedly Christian vantage point. Uh, authors trying to ascertain biblical directives about how to be a better dad. And if you've read any of these books, I'll just let you in on the secret. Uh, For the most part, uh, what they do is they look at the spectacularly bad dads in the Bible. Noah, Samuel, David. I mean, these guys would be on CPS speed dial. They do so many things wrong. Um, The articles, also many of them written from a Christian perspective, although not all. As I was uh, leafing through these files, I've got probably three times this many. As I was leafing through them this week, I was struck by how many came out of the uh, Wall Street Journal or out of the Chicago Trib or the New York Times, some from Harvard Business Review articles about how to be a better dad. Uh, It's a big deal, a lot of ink out there about uh, how to be a better dad. For the most part, especially with the books, not always with the articles, but with the books, they all start off assuming uh, that the sky is falling as it relates to the family and in particular to dads. Uh, Almost every one of them will have some uh, derivation of this statistic that says in 1970, uh, about 90% of children were born into families with both a, a mom and a dad present in the home. And then that number began to precipitously decline. In the 90s, it was into the 60%. And today, it's dropped below 60%. And in some urban settings, it's as low as 20%. And then uh, from there, these articles will mention the deleterious effects of not having a dad around. And then they'll go on to say that a lot of fathers who are physically present are not emotionally present for their kids. They're not engaged. And... uh, and it can be pretty dark. Some go on and then, and then uh, share these statistics that I would often begin uh, every fall men's fraternity session with, just noting um, that 90% of major crimes are committed by men. And uh, 100% of rapes, 95% of burglaries, 91% of crimes against families or children, uh, 94% of drunk drivers are all men. And uh, the events of this past week, the horror that took place in South Carolina, um, the, the the shooting death, uh, racially motivated shooting death of, of nine people who had gathered at a prayer meeting at a, at a church. When we heard this, right, uh, when we woke up and heard, at least I woke up and heard, that nine uh, African-Americans had been shot at this historically African-American church, um, before I even had a... Chance to figure out whether I expected them to announce that the that the shooter was white or black or whatever. Uh, I assumed, as I suspect all of you did, that uh, the shooter was a male, right? and that's just sort of the way these things go. And so, a lot of what is captured in here sort of suggests that men are doing uh, men are causing more than fifty percent of the headaches out there. And, uh, and then they sort of call rally us to step up. Now, there's other things in these articles. Um, there's, uh, there, there's, information that I'll call specialty information, advice to dads if you're raising a daughter, advice to dads if you you got a grandson or a stepson, or if now suddenly you have a, a son-in-law, how do you interact with your son-in-law, how do you parent adult kids, right? So you got some specialty stuff in there. And because I've been in ministry now for over 30 years, uh, I've got articles that fit neatly into sort of trends, so I've got the whole, what I call my mock Spock section. Not Star Trek Spock, but Dr. Benjamin Spock, who is a big child psychologist. And lots of people now really, there's a big reaction to Spock and his, his counsel. Um, and then there's, uh, then there's just a whole bunch of uh, other information that is found in there. Uh, interestingly, there's a series of articles lamenting the lack of good TV dads, right? We traded in Atticus Finch and uh, Fred McMurray and Ward Cleaver for Homer Simpson and uh, uh, Al Bundy and, uh, you know, some of these, what, what in the industry they just refer to simply as the doofus dad, right? That's just a character that most, uh, most serial sitcoms have, the inept, bumbling, uh, idiotic father. Well, I've got other things in here. I've got we got prayers that uh, I've I, uh, have prayed for my boys. I've got uh, goals that they set. Uh, I have sermons that I've heard on Father's Day or that I preached on Father's Day. So there's a lot of information in these files and in these books. What I didn't find when I went here this past week, much to my surprise, what I didn't find was anything on the topic for today, which is dads and anxiety. And I, I think that's a, a bit of a miss, because I'm in lots of conversations with dad, with dads who are very anxious, right, who say, oh my goodness, I just don't know that I can get this all done, that I can hold everything together, because, because work is demanding more and more, even as it returns less and less. And my family just has these ongoing needs, and, and now You know, uh, wow, when I grew up, my dad didn't go to all my games. He didn't go to every parent-teacher conference. He didn't, you know, he wasn't at every recital. But I'm expected to be at all of these things. And he says, I just don't, I don't know how I can hold all of this together. So um, there's a lot of anxious dads out there. I actually thought this article uh, would be easy to write. You just, obviously you would start with what is almost a universal experience for uh, for fathers, and that is this overwhelming sense of uh, impending doom that descends upon you as you're pulling away from the hospital with that first baby. You know, eight pounds of baby and eight hundred pounds of gear, and all of a sudden you think, "Oh no, I'm not. I'm not ready for this. How did this happen? Oh, I I can't do this. I'm I'm a fraud." And now I've got responsibility. What if I mess up? What if I... What if I... What if I get fired? What's going to happen? I'm not ready for this incredible responsibility. And uh, you know, I, I just hear these stories over and over. And I remember putting the car in gear and thinking, "Oh my goodness, how did I end up here?" So then uh, I had this moment. I guess it would have been probably six or seven years later. We we left here back in 85 and went out to the West Coast. I was a college pastor for eight years. And and then I I sensed over the course of uh, many months, I sensed God drawing that chapter of our lives to a close and uh, sort of prayed that through for a while and was convinced that it was time uh, to prepare for something else. And so much to my father's horror, in January, I informed the church that I would be leaving in August. So eight months, I gave them to find uh, a replacement. I was completely confident that I would have a job by August. Of course, I didn't. So what I had at that point was a family. I had two kids. I had a mortgage. I just didn't have any income. And I remember thinking, what kind of colossal idiot would put their family in this kind of risk. And so there is anxiety that uh, is out there for fathers. I shared a few weeks ago about the dad, about the guy that came in to say he couldn't sleep through the night, and and when he did, he was grinding his teeth, and he was just very, very fearful of things. Uh, I could share stories of guys who come in and say, you know, I'm throwing up at two in the morning because I just can't handle the stress and uh, everybody else makes it look easy, apparently. I'm the only one that, that is in this situation. And I assure them that they're not. Because they're a guy, they're supposed to just sort of smile and, and uh, roll with it and act like it's no big deal. Because you can't really show weakness and move forward. But I assure them that they are uh, not alone. So, let me pause for one moment here before we go to the text and, and acknowledge... That uh, I'm focusing on dads today um, because it's Father's Day. Uh, I, we could talk about anxiety for everyone, and in particular for single moms and dads. Uh, all the stresses that I've just talked about for dads are multiplied four or fivefold or tenfold. I don't even know. So if you're a single parent, uh, you have my respect and my prayers. I'm focusing on dads today. Because it's Father's Day, and also I just always try and acknowledge that that fathers have an outsized influence uh, in their in their families. It's not earned. In many cases, it's positively uh, unearned, but it's there, and uh, it's really hard for a family to do better than the than the dad is doing. And we've got statistics that are just you know, very interesting. If a hundred high school kids show up and start to get involved with Shag or or come to a service or get involved on a mission trip, if a hundred high school kids show up, about seven families will follow over the course of a year, right? Seven of that hundred will end up bringing their family. Their family will follow them here. If uh, a hundred women show up. They get involved with MOPS or the Beth Moore study or whatever. They start to get involved in church. If 100 women show up over the course of a year, um, somewhere in the 20% of families will follow. If 100 men show up over the course of a year, 97% of the families will follow, right? It's, it is an unearned, and as I said, sometimes positively uh Privileged position that men have and responsibility that men have. And so uh, on Father's Day, I'm, I'm speaking to everybody, uh, but I'm in particular speaking to Dad. So our passage is Luke chapter 12. Uh, Jesus is marching to Jerusalem. Uh, the crowds have gotten big at this point. We've been looking in particular at his, uh, the fact that Jesus is. Greater than he's greater than evil and death and religion and fear, and and now we come to a passage on uh, anxiety. Uh, Jesus is greater than uh, anxiety. So uh, I'm going to read Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Okay, so he'd been talking to the crowd, so now he's focusing on the disciples. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. It's hard to know, some translations say do not fear. Hard to know if there's any daylight in the definitions between fear and worry. Uh, If there is, it's very little. Um, I, I would ask you again, you were asked at the beginning of the service, brought this up a few weeks ago as well, i ask you to be very specific in naming your fears. I think there's value in this. For starters, there's value in this because uh, if you are very specific about what you fear, that may help you identify idols uh, in your life, which almost certainly is not going to be a bad thing. Your Your idol is probably going to be something like job security or your health, or the health of someone in your family. Those are, those are understandable things. Those are important things. But they can become uh, too important. And they can, they can get us sideways. Another reason to be very specific about uh, identifying our fears is so that uh, later on, we can realize how God has delivered us from those fears or walked us through those challenges. Right, because the truth is, everybody in this room has already transitioned through a lot of stages, right? No longer, I'm guessing, no longer scared of monsters under the bed. And uh, probably not many people here are scared that they're not going to remember their locker combination or be able to get their locker open, because that was a very anxiety-provoking thing. Oh no, I'm, I'm leaving you know, I'm leaving grade school, I'm going to have a locker my own locker, and I hear that they don't work, and what's going to happen, you know? I mean, there's a lot of stupid things that we can get wrapped up in worrying about. When I was about this tall, okay? So when I got to be about this tall, I started uh, through the whole, I hate girls, girls are are icky, and so whenever there would be any sort of romance on the TV screen, uh, I would leave the room. But when I was smaller than that, right, I went through this phase where I was quite... uh, worried about the fact that when you kiss somebody somehow you knew which way to turn your face so that your nose wasn't in the way but nobody was explaining this to me how how do you know this thing right and and none of my friends knew the answer and I'm thinking oh no this is right this is this is going to be bad I I don't know okay so we worry about a lot of really stupid things and if we actually write them down or identify them, then at some point we look back and we go, you know, maybe I ought to just not worry about so much of what I'm worried about because it's really pretty ridiculous stuff. Um, Okay, so um, we need to identify our fears so we can identify our idols. We need to identify our fears so that we can move uh, forward and see that God helps us move beyond that. Reading on, verse Um, verse 24. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Now, ravens is just a really polite way of talking about crows, right? And crows are loud, ugly, obnoxious, uh, squawky, Scavengers that we see, you know, rooting through the trash and eating the roadkill. I mean, they're they're gross birds. Uh, there's a <clears throat> there's a, a, a I don't know if it's the same crow or if it's been a series of crows, but there's a, a a crow's nest on top of a light pole along the bike path that I run down. And starting a few years ago, um, th- this would dive bomb me as I am running down this path. I could hear it start get mad that I was approaching, and then it would swoop down. And it would wait till I went past, and it would get behind me, and it would try and, you know, peck on my head. So I just got used to the fact that as I was running by, I just had to keep waving my arm for about 100 yards, and, and then I'd be fine. Well, after the stroke... Um, I just wasn't in quite as good a mood. And I'm thinking, you're picking on me because now you think you can take me. Because I'm slow. So now I don't wave my arm. I can watch because I can usually see the shadow of the bird coming. And then uh, I turn around and the bird and I have words. And uh, you know I, I let it know. You think you can take me? Come on, you're always flying away as soon as I try and stand up to you. So I don't like ravens or crows. And I know that unlike, well, I know that if I say anything about cats, my email box will fill up. But nobody's going to come to the defense of a crow, right? None of you have a pet crow at home that, oh, yes, that's just caw. He just sort of, you know, uh, has freedom, runs around the house and makes a mess and, you know, picks at all the food and goes into the trash. And so none of you are going to defend the crow. So understand what Jesus is saying here, right? When he says, consider the raven, he's saying this loud, ugly, ugly, obnoxious bird that nobody likes, that does nothing for its own provision, right? Doesn't plant food, doesn't store food, and yet God provides for it. If God provides for the raven, right? How much more important are you? God will provide for you. Uh, Reading on, verses 25 and 26. Which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Now, it is worth noting here that the passage is telling us not to worry. It's not telling us not to work. And I, I highlight this because there are more than a few people who suggest that the, that the spiritual approach here, that the mature response here is to simply sit back and let God provide. Um, I, I've been involved with an organization for 20 years, Scholar Leaders International. Christ Church has been supporting Scholar Leaders International longer than that, so 25 years. And uh, a few years ago, four or five years ago, we, we took on a scholar from a young leader from Ethiopia whose particular uh, area of interest was to try and fix the problem in Ethiopia that revolves around the fact that the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, uh, which is the predominant church in Ethiopia, uh, they have... Uh, they have 300 saints so far. And here's the catch. You're not supposed to work on the day set aside to honor each of these 300 saints. Okay? So there's 300 additional holidays in the Ethiopian calendar. And this guy's saying, part of the reason that we're starving over here, right, in this land of plenty... Is because nobody's working. Everybody thinks the right thing to do, the pious thing to do, the godly thing to do, is to to not work on these days in honor of whoever. And so he says, we got to figure out how to fix this because it's killing us. And and this is not it's not an Ethiopian problem. It's not a new problem. In First Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul wrote about the fact that Christ was going to return, and we're going to look at that actually next week as we. Keep motoring through Luke chapter 12. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks about the fact that Christ is going to return. And in 2 Thessalonians, he writes, and part of what he says in chapter 3 is, By the way, those of you who heard that Christ was going to return and are now doing nothing, I have this to say, if you don't work, you don't eat. Right? Because there's this thing, well, I'm just going to sit back and trust God. So, that's not what this passage is saying. It's not saying don't work. It's saying don't worry. Reading on, verse 27. We have now another example, sort of like with the crow, uh, of a lesser thing being cared for. Verse 27. Consider how the wildflowers grow, or some of your translations may say consider the lily. Uh, we briefly thought, well, gee, it's Father's Day. We could give everybody a lily. That'd go over well. Um, Consider how the wild father flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about that. For the pagan world runs after all these things. And your father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Um, so, what we're being told is we need to we need to focus on God. Seek God. Seek his kingdom. If we if we can right size God and look at him first, as opposed to looking at the problems or the things that we're worried about first, then. God in his majesty sort of eclipses the problem, makes the problem look small. If we look at the problem first, right, then that's blocking out God. And so we're being told that we need to, uh, we're not being told that we're not going to face hardships. We're not being told that everything's going to be easy, right? We're we're not ever told that. We're told quite the opposite, but we're told that God is with us as we go through these things. Um, Verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased To give you the kingdom. Okay? It's not not that we've got to pry it out of God's hand. He's pleased to care for us. Verse 33: Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Uh, Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. There are many passages in the in the both Old and New Testament that argue that we should be generous with the poor, We we should advocate on the part of the oppressed. Um, I I don't actually think that the council here in particular is in there for the benefit of the poor. It's saying that we should sell our possessions and give to the poor. I've I've said this before. If you look to the old, lots of people say they don't like the Old Testament metric of 10%. They they like the New Testament metric. And I always say, no, you don't, (laughs) because the New Testament's always bigger. You think it's going to be less than 10%. It's always, no, give everything away. But, but here, I don't think it's motivated in this way uh, to care for the needs of the poor. I think he's saying, for the person who's worrying, right? Look, you need, you need to understand, you need to put yourself in some situations where you're actually going to trust God. And, and you need to store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, thieves cannot break in and steal. Uh, there's benefit, there's value to you in addition to what's for the poor. But I don't think the statement here is motivated primarily for the poor. I think it's being told, those of us who are anxious, they're, they're worrying. We actually need to do some counterintuitive things to move through this. Then uh, finally, verse 34. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also um, some people think that they have a money problem. I, I think a lot of times it's a heart problem, not a money problem. Okay, well, a few things here. Um, back to the whole Father's Day theme. I, there's there's more that could be said about fears. I read uh, I read on fear this past week again, and there's a lot of fears out there. Uh, Calrophobia, the fear of clowns. So. Um, Probably the term coined after that Stephen King novel came out. Uh, triophobia is the fear that you're going to get too much peanut butter stuck to the roof of your mouth and not be able to breathe. Uh, and these things go on forever. Germanophobia, uh, fear of Germans, which would be particularly bad if you were German. Um, so if you're creative, you can come up with things to worry about for the rest of your life. And and I think the focus here is, is, no, let's let's not look at the fears, let's look at God. God can be trusted. But I wanna I wanna frame this a little bit differently for you, and I wanna take it back to our Father's Day uh, motif here. I wanna I wanna end by by sharing a story that hopefully will provide a little bit of a visual picture that you can carry with you as you leave. So a few years ago probably I guess 15 years ago when our youngest child was four or five uh, I was reading The Lord of the Rings to the boys uh, a little bit every night for months. It's a big thick novel so it it was a many months project. And I was reading it primarily to his older two brothers but he was hanging out and and listening to it as well. And uh, then one night, two in the morning I hear a little wake up to a little whimpering going on, and he's calling. So I go into his bedroom, and, and he says, uh, I go, what's, what's the matter, bud? And he goes, I'm hot, I'm hot. I go, okay, well, let's take some covers off, you know. This is a problem I can fix. Okay, strip some covers off. I go, there, you'll cool down. And I go back, uh, climb in bed, and he starts crying again. I'm a little bit less uh, sympathetic this time. I go back into the room, and I go, you know, it's going to take a little while to cool down. He goes, I'm hot, I'm hot. And I feel his forehead, and I go, well, you, you don't really have a fever. If you close your eyes, it's going to be morning before you know it. And I leave, and I go back into the bedroom. At this point, Sherry's awake, and she says, what's, what's going on? And I said, it, it's fine, no problem, he's hot. I go, but I've taken care of. She says, well, is he hot, or Is he hot? said, he says he's hot. I just took a cover off. She goes, no. She goes, hot means he's scared. She goes, he doesn't say that he's scared. He says that he's hot. She goes, but he's scared. She goes, no doubt he's terrified by that horrific story you've been reading to him. <laughs> and she goes, of course he's petrified. She might have said other things about how I should have been shot at that point. But I, uh, I'll leave those out. I'll just say, this is not the first time I had misunderstood the uh, the language. So we had this other thing when he was even littler in a high chair where I learned what the word barbecue means. He's, it's green beans. I'm trying to get him to his green beans. He keeps saying, tastes like barbecue. And I'm like, what? It just tastes like barbecue. I'm like, whoa, bonus, it tastes like barbecue. Just keep eating it, right? And then Sherry says, that, that's his word for for burnt and I'm like oh oh wait a minute I'm the one that barbecues she goes that's his word for burnt and and that's his word for burnt so now they've got the whole hot thing so about this time I hear another little, little yelp and and I go in and I said are you hot he goes I'm hot I said okay how about if I lay down on the floor next to you I go will that help you not be so hot and he said yes And so I did, and I laid there and went to sleep. So here's, well, several things. I mean, let me just pause and note. Don't read the Lord of the Rings to anybody under the age of, I don't know, 10. Uh, (laughs) And dads, if you can still solve the problems for your kids, right, by laying down next to them at night, if you can still be a hero like that, let me encourage you to take advantage of those opportunities, because they are short-lived. Right. Pretty soon, their problems are not ones that you can you can fix very easily, if at all, and uh, and and those memories are worth so much more than any tie uh, or or you know barbecue accessory that you're going to get at Father's Day. So take advantage of those moments. But let me also say the the passage here. I mean, that's the tone of what we're being told. So if you look. In um, verse 32, it says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So, little flock is a term of endearment, right? This is not, don't be afraid. Come on, buck up, be a man, right? Uh, Have a spine, press on. I'm tired of this sniveling and whining and crying. Come on, you got to just, got to go make it happen. That's not the tone of do not be afraid. The tone of do not be afraid is, don't worry about this, right? I got this. I'm going to lay down next to you, and, and nothing's going to hurt you. The kid doesn't go through me first, right? I've got this. And that's what we're being told in this passage. I, I said that uh, I have all these books, files on how to be a better dad. I've got lots of books and files on stress and anxiety because it's another big topic, and and I rifled through that as well. And you know, it's all it's full of all the predictable stuff, right? I mean, you know, uh, you know, get plenty of sleep and and uh, take exercise and eat less salt, and you know, it's just it's all the kinds of stuff that you would expect. Nowhere in the stress and anxiety stuff is the best advice out there, right, which we get in this passage, which is just place your trust in God, right? He is a loving, heavenly Father who will lay down next to you and make sure that none of the, none of the monsters under the bed can get you, right, because he's there for you. He's the best Father we could ever have. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father um, I know there's a lot of anxiety in this room dads and moms young people old people grandparents stress that goes in a variety of different directions and um, on this Father's day we want to look to you to be uh, the dad who can um, who can ski, who can scare away all the all the scary things that uh, are out there. And that we can understand the depth of your love. And when you say, do not be afraid, that you've got it. And uh, that you're going to work all these things out eventually. And we can trust in you. So I pray, Father, I would, we would confess that it's very easy to look at problems and not at you. Help us, uh, help us to do otherwise. And to rest in you. Now I want to ask all the fathers to stand. Just continuing in an attitude of prayer, I want to ask, invite all the fathers to stand for a second because I want to pray specifically for you. Heavenly Father, I want to pray uh, for the new dads today, those that are just starting down that path, that you would give them um, patience and wisdom um, and a great sense of your presence as they uh, seek to be the best dads they can be. I want to pray for those uh, men right now who feel pulled in every direction. Uh, Work and family demands are just uh, more than they can manage. I I want to pray, Father, that you would give them strength. I want to pray that you would give them a sense of your presence, that you would give them a sense of your love for them, and that you would show your favor on them and on their children. Uh, help them to see the great value of what they're doing, uh, especially as they love and spend time with their kids. Uh, I want to pray for the dads who are parenting adult uh, kids now, or, or, the, or the grandparents, or those that are now trying to figure out how to be a, a, a good uh, father-in-law. I want to pray that um, you would give them wisdom in this new role and help them to know how to encourage um, how to be the the consultant to their adult children uh, to love and affirm them uh, to cultivate a a growing rich relationship with them to be there for them without um, squelching them in any way. I want to pray Father for those dads who feel like failures uh, for whatever reason Um, sideways with children or or uh, they're just, they look at lost opportunities and mistakes and, and feel a heavy weight. May they sense your love uh, for them. And even today, see um, the opportunities, not the mistakes. See the ways to move forward and uh, to be more like you. We thank you. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge you are the only perfect Father, and we thank you that you are. And we pray for your love on all of us and on these men, and we pray this in Christ's name.